0: Amen. There's a reason why Chris had us sing that song this morning, uh, because this morning we're going to be talking about shepherds, uh, shepherds who are shepherding churches today. And so it's important that we remember as we talk about shepherds uh, that there is one chief shepherd that all of us must be submitted to. The Lord is our shepherd. If you have your Bibles um, or if you don't, they're in the pews in front of you. If you have your Bibles, Go ahead and open them to 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, Normally, I will read from a text and then kind of work our way through the text, but we are in this series for the church, and so uh, we are going to get to 1 Timothy 3, uh, but today is going to be more of a survey of all that the New Testament has to say about elders, or shepherds, or overseers, and we have a PowerPoint today, if Sammy, my son, is uh, in the sound booth up there, running the slides, uh, not to call him out or anything, but uh, this is another unusual thing, a PowerPoint today, because this will probably in some ways feel uh, more teaching than Preaching, although you can't really divorce the two from each other, so there there will definitely be preaching. But I want to teach through um, sort of what the scriptures say about purposeful polity. And I know everyone knows what the word polity means, so I won't explain that. I'm just kidding. Um, I have it defined up here. Uh, Polity, and that's how you pronounce it, polity, how a church is governed, how a church is governed. Well, that's a really interesting topic, something very engaging. So, last week, we talked all about um, how essential it is that we understand the church to be the body of Christ, which consists of many body parts, and we are body parts that God has arranged to be a part of the body. And we said, in 1 Corinthians 12, I didn't say it, God said it, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Inasmuch as we belong to the body, we cannot say to each other, I have no need of you, because we all need each other. That's how God has designed us. We are organically interconnected. The health of the whole depends on the collective health of each part. And we see when the body parts are working together properly, the body grows up in love, and it grows to look more and more like Christ and reflect the glory of Christ among us. And so I gave us the four C's. If you wrote those down last week, I said that a member of the body of Christ is one who is committed, committed to the regular gathering of the body. A member of the body of Christ is one who contributes the spiritual gifts that God has given him or her for the good of the whole body, contributes. A member of the body of Christ is one who cultivates the health and growth of the body through knowing and applying God's word to your life. And a member of the body of Christ is one who has care and concern for the whole body. And so I sent you home with a copy of our church covenant, which really is just taking all that the New Testament says about how we are to be the church and really asking, leaving that question with you. Am I a committed part of this body? Or am I committed part of a body of Christ somewhere? This morning, I'm going to continue teaching about God's design for the church. So the first week was God's manifold wisdom on display last week about the body of Christ. And this week, unlike last week where we talked about each individual's role within the body... This week, I wanna zero in on some specific roles that Christ has given to his church in order to lead us to carry out the mission he has for us. So I want to remind you, why are we teaching through all this? Why do we? Need, why is this important that we understand the organization of a church? Well, first of all, number one, because this is something that is in the Bible. We teach the full counsel of God's word. And All Scripture, we know, has been breathed out by God, and it is profitable for us. It is useful for us to to, uh, train us and equip us in every good work. That's from 2 Timothy 3.16. So we believe that everything that the Bible has to say for us is for our good. Now, as my favorite Scottish radio preacher, Alistair Begg, likes, likes to say, While all of scripture is inspired, it's not all equally inspiring. Now, if you're reading through the Bible, if you're reading through your devotion and you have a reading for the day and you come to Colossians and you see a heading like Alive in Christ, you're probably thinking, yes, that's what I need. Let's do this quiet time right now. But then suppose you are reading through your daily Bible reading and you come to 1 Timothy 3 or Titus chapter 1 and you read the heading qualifications for overseers. Wah wah wah. Probably not exciting a lot of enthusiasm in you and maybe you're thinking, well, I'll just breeze through that because that's not as important. But before you do that this morning, please don't check out. Don't check out recognize that we feed on this all the same because it is God's breathed out word. It is truth for life, instruction for life. And even when that instruction concerns how we are to be organized as a church, it's from God. It's from God, and so it's for our good. God has a lot to say about how we organize the church, how a church is governed. 1 Corinthians 14.40 And again, that's from that section from last week, 12 through 14. Paul is talking about how the church is to be the church. Paul says, all things should be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. And when it comes to the ordering of a church, one of the very first things that we see happening after the gospel takes root in a culture, it transforms a people, it brings them together as one spirit-filled body, One of the first things that we see that happens is the appointing of leaders. Leaders whom the Bible calls elders or shepherds, which we'll talk about in just a second. The scriptures tell us, as Chris read earlier, that God has given the church these gifts. Christ himself has given gifts to the church. He's given us apostles who gave us the New Testament. He's given us prophets. He's given us evangelists. And he's given us shepherds and teachers, which I take to be one and the same, shepherds who are teachers, shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So God sees this as a gift to the church. He set us up for success in his mission. So today I want to teach specifically through what does the New Testament have to say about how God has organized the church and specifically who are its leaders What do they do? How do they work together for the health of the whole? As we seek to move in this direction as a church, uh, in accordance with one of those church health goals in our agreement, we transition to a, a team of elders. It's important that we first understand what is an elder. So the first thing I want to do is a survey, if you can switch the slide, a survey through the New Testament about some of the things that elders were doing, or the places we see this term throughout. First place we see this is in Acts chapter 11, verse 30. The Antioch church was delivering a relief offering, and they delivered it to the church in Jerusalem to the elders. They delivered it to the elders who were in Jerusalem by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. That's the first instance of elders in a New Testament church sense. In Acts chapter 14, 23, on Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey, it says they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. In Acts chapter 15, 6, the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem were gathered... And they gathered together in order to clarify issues of the gospel, issues related to how the Gentiles receive the gospel. In Acts chapter 20, Paul, just before he sets sail for Jerusalem to go on trial and eventually be transferred to Rome, thinks that it will be the last time that he sees his brothers from the church of Ephesus. So what does he do? He calls for the elders in the church to come visit him, and he says to them in Acts 20, 28, he tells the elders, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. In his letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians 1:1, 1, 1, Paul addresses it to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, so all the saints, meaning all believers in the church in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Overseer, a term similar to elder. So he's addressing it to the overseers and to the deacons, to specific offices in the church. In 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul tells young Pastor Timothy, who's responsible for a church network in Ephesus, he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And then to Titus, Paul says, again, Titus, young pastor of a church planting network in Crete. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Then James 5.14 is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Let him call for the elders of the church. So from the 20 plus references to elders in local churches in the New Testament, we can make a few observations. And I want to make a few of those Observations Now, if you want to go into that slide. Thank you. Um, the first observation is this. What is an elder? An elder is one who is entrusted with shepherding. Okay. Get those two terms really closely embedded in your mind. An elder is one entrusted with shepherding the flock of God. Acts 20:28, 20, again, Paul tells the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to care for the church of God. In 1 Peter 5, Peter says, As a fellow elder, I exhort you, elders, to shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. So the first thing we see is eldership is a picture, it's meant to be a picture of under shepherds, so we are under the chief shepherd, under shepherds, patiently and continually leading the flock to follow the good shepherd. When you think of an elder, that's what an elder should be. One who is an under shepherd, who recognizes he's under the good shepherd, continually leading the flock to follow the good shepherd. Second observation, an elder was someone, is someone, who is gifted and called by the Holy Spirit. Again, Acts 20:28. 20, this is the elder of whom the Holy Spirit has made an overseer to care for the church of God. The Holy Spirit has called the elder into this position. And 2 Timothy 1:6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy was a pastor who had received the gift and the calling of a pastor. And the symbol of this calling and this setting apart was Paul's laying on of hands. So if you ever wonder why when we install a pastor or we affirm a deacon in the church and we're kind of setting them apart for service, that's why we, one of the reasons why we lay hands on them and pray for them. So an elder is someone who is gifted and called by the Holy Spirit. As as Chris read, God has given gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Third observation, the term elder is synonymous with overseer. So elder is essentially a synonym for an overseer. Now, there are some slightly different shades of meaning when we talk about elders, overseers, and pastors, but where those are mentioned, an elder is a shepherd and an elder is an overseer. So again, I come back to Acts chapter 20, 28. Paul, talking to elders, tells them to pay careful attention to the flock, which means they are a shepherd, elder who is a shepherd, and it says... Whom the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to care for the church of God. So if you want to write this down, an elder, a shepherd, a pastor. Pastor is just our English word for shepherd, another word for shepherd. It means shepherd. Elder, shepherd, overseer, bishop, because bishop is just another word that means overseer. Those are all terms referring to this office in the church that God has set apart to shepherd the flock the office of elder number four observed fourth observation in almost every instance that we have of the term elders in scripture there seems to be in the churches more than one elder this is very important for the transition that we are seeking to make here at center baptist church in almost every case If you remember those passages I read at the beginning, we see elders serving in the churches, elders being appointed in each church, or at least this this assumption of an ideal that there would be more than one elder serving in the churches. And we'll talk a little bit more about the reasons for that and the advantages of that in just a second. But even our, our Baptist forefathers, they understood this and they spelled it out explicitly did I just go oh I think my battery died that's okay just turn this one on hello test test all right we're back we're back in business kind of maybe okay so uh, Our Baptist forefathers, they spelled this out explicitly in one of our earliest Baptist confessions. Uh, The London Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689. If you can put that up on the slide, Sam. The London Baptist Confession of 1689 had this. This is what they wrote on the article about elders in the church, offices in the church. They said, a particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ, consists of officers and members. And the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church for the administration of ordinances and execution of power or duty, which he entrusts them with or calls them to, are bishops or elders and deacons. So elders. And they went further and they said the way appointed by Christ for the calling of any person fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit unto the office of bishop or elder in a church is that he be chosen by the common suffrage voting election of the church itself and solemnly set apart by fasting and prayer with the laying on of hands of the eldership of the church. So they recognize an eldership within the church if there be any before constituted therein. Daniel Wallace, who's a New Testament scholar said, a Greek scholar, a Greek in New Testament, he said, "'The early church had, I believe, multiple elders. "'The pastor would have been counted among them, "'but was not over them. "'Indeed, all would have taught, not just one.' "'He says, if we can get back to this model, "'I think that churches will be stronger in many ways. They will be less dependent on one person and more accountable. And so with that, I want to come to the practical advantages, the outworking of the benefits of the way that Christ has designed and organized the church. Next slide. So the advantages of a plurality of elders. When I say a plurality of elders, I mean a team of elders working together to actively shepherd and care for the church of God. The first advantage that I would say is sustainability. Sustainability, what do I mean by that? Well, how do we decide who the next pastor is, or what do we do when one pastor, because of some other circumstance in his life, is unable to fulfill that obligation, or that pastor comes to the point of retirement, or passes away, what does the church do? Well, if the church has a plurality of elders if there's an active eldership actively shepherding the flock of God, what it creates is a situation where there are more there is more than one who is able to step in and to fulfill that need. Now, you have already kind of seen this in motion. You've seen the blessing of this here at Center Baptist because there was a time for 2 years when there was not a named senior pastor. Uh, And God gave us the gift of Pastor Cliff, 30 year trained pastor, chaplain, counselor who was able to help shepherd the flock alongside of Troy, who was helping fill the pulpit and growing as he was taking classes in seminary. And that's to say nothing of Pastor Russ, who also taught and Fred, who also taught. And Dewey, all of them were, had care assignments and they were looking out for the needs of the body and actively shepherding. Now, you know them as the board of deacons. And what I'm saying is in many ways, they were functioning as elders um, of the church, actively shepherding the church. And another thing about sustainability though, is that when these are recognized as elders, as shepherds who are actively looking over the flock, what happens is, An elder who realizes, the words of Paul to Timothy, that I should be entrusting what I have learned and received, I should be entrusting what I've learned to faithful men who will teach others also. When the elders see one of their roles as to actively call out, raise up, develop, train other pastors, it creates this radar where the church is thinking Who are the pastors that God has given the church? And me as a pastor, and this is one of my my passions, it's something that I feel particularly gifted and trained to do, is to train other pastors, to invest in people who are in this church. Some of you who may be sitting in the pew right now and to think this might be a future shepherd, pastor, elder of Center Baptist Church. So that creates a pattern where we have generations of pastors who step up and lead without having to go outside the church and look to hire someone. Sustainability. Another advantage is accountability. That was mentioned in the quote that I just read earlier. But here's a question I would ask. Um, First of all, how many of you have ever known a pastor who had to quit the ministry because of some kind of moral failure or burnout? Show of hands. I think anybody who's been in a church long enough would probably say, yes, we all have known somebody like that. And my question would be, who pastors the pastor? <laughs> who pastors the pastor? I am a member of the flock. Yes, I am the senior pastor of Central Baptist Church, but I am a member of this flock. I'm a member of this body, and I need to be led and shepherded as well. Now, thankfully, I have guys right now that I can go to, people like Cliff, for example but pastors need pastoring. And having a plurality of pastors recognizes this and recognizes that no one man has all the gifts, which is getting into the next point, to be all things to all people. We depend on multiple gifted people in the body to help lead the church. Godly fellow elders are a great means for holding the pastor accountable to live, teach, and lead faithfully. In addition, sharing authority among a number of men can keep one man from wrongly lording it over the congregation the next advantage is a diversity of giftedness and i already hit on this but what i mean by that is i believe that there are pastors who excel in particular areas of pastoring Um, when i think of cliff i think of an excellent one-on-one sit down with you counsel listen to your problems, make assessments, and apply scripture uh, to your life. Others are going to be excel more in public teaching. Others might excel more in hospitality. Still others might excel more on individual one-on-one pastoral care. And I believe that if we recognize uh, a number of shepherds that God has raised up within the church, what we are doing is we're saying that there are People that God has gifted in complementary ways in order to shepherd, to collectively shepherd the whole. Diversity of giftedness. The next advantage, I would say, is wisdom. And wisdom, by wisdom, I simply mean this there is safety in a multitude of counselors. There is safety in a multitude of counselors. For a pastor, just like Peter, to have fellow pastors that he could come to and remind to shepherd the flock of God. By having a plurality of elders, a plurality of shepherds, we are admitting, I don't have all the answers. I need help. And to have the help of someone who is experiencing the same thing as you because they're in the same role as you is a great strength to the life of the church. And then finally, as an advantage I would say a shared burden of oversight, a shared burden of oversight. I mentioned pastoral burnout. This is something that's really kind of epidemic within the church today, pastoral burnout, and particularly within the last nine months uh, because of all the, the new complexities that have been introduced in the church because of COVID, because of social unrest, because of the election, pastors are feeling today like they have to be all things to all people and to be experts on all kinds of different things, whether it's technology or whether it's um, racial issues or whether it's politics. And so it's easy right now for pastors to feel burned out. I am not asking you to feel sorry for me. <laughs> I've actually in this season uh, experienced something a little bit of the opposite, maybe, um, the blessing of this body, so I am not here today to tell you that I'm burned out by any means. It is a joy, but it is definitely a possibility, as you know, and right now, as I would say, I have people alongside me who are helping me and helping pastor me, and so a plurality of elders prevents that from becoming the case. It can't do away with it altogether, but it is something that helps for sure. Now, all those are all the advantages. But at the end of the day, we can't just grab somebody out of the pews and say, okay, we need, we need multiple elders, so you're going to be an elder. We can't do that. Because the Bible gives us qualifications for overseers, qualifications for elders. So I had you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And good job on the slide. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. You need to know this, you need to know this. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are the places we turn to before we affirm or call someone as an elder in the church because an elder must be these things. An elder must be meet these qualifications. So I'm gonna read through 1 Timothy 3 and just make a few comments on each one of these, or a few of these characteristics this morning. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. This is chapter three, verse one. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And I see that that's kind of the banner of everything that's gonna follow. He must be above reproach. Now, here's what that means. He must be the husband of one wife. So that word literally is a one woman man. I don't think that disqualifies a single person, but it means this must be the type of person who is committed to purity, whether that's faithfulness to the wife he has now or faithfulness to the future wife that he may have one day. He must be a one woman man. The pastor must, the uh, overseer must be sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable. Hospitable means literally love for strangers. So an openness to share his life with others, an openness to care for the whole and to invite others into his space, able to teach. This is a big one, able to teach, because this is the one that's going to distinguish the qualifications from elders from the qualifications for deacons. An elder, unlike a deacon, must be skilled in handling the word of God, or as Paul says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul tells the Ephesian elders, um, again, Acts 20, this is Acts twenty twenty nine. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He's referring to, to false teachers. He says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. One of the most important things that elders do is to guard the pure doctrine of God's word and to guard the gospel. We know from James 3, 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is a really big deal that an elder must be qualified to be able to handle the word of God and to snuff out false teaching, to send false teaching away to protect the flock of God. It goes on. He must be not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, into a snare of the devil. So this is someone whose character is not only above reproach within the church, but someone who's not leading a double life outside the church. Someone that those outside the church would commend and say, Yes, this is a man of character. Now, as I said, there was one qualification in the qualifications for overseers and elders that distinguishes them from from the qualifications for deacons. If you looked in that very next section of 1 Timothy chapter three, you would find the qualifications for deacons. Deacons are not off the hook on anything related to character. A deacon must be above reproach in every way that an elder is above reproach. But a deacon is a slightly different role. A deacon means servant. That's what the word means. A deacon is a servant. And what we, we we glean from the scriptures that a deacon is a particular office where they're recognized in the church as a servant over a particular aspect or a particular area of, of, of a need that arises within the church. So, for example, you might have a deacon of finances or a deacon of facility management or a deacon of benevolence or a deacon of widow care. These are some of the examples that we see in scripture and we've seen throughout the history of the church again the only substantive difference between an elder and a deacon is the qualification able to teach now that brings me to members all of us as members at large why do I need to know this again well first of all because these are or these will be the men who are entrusted with shepherding you These are the men who will be responsible for guarding the teaching and the doctrine of the church and ensuring that people don't come into the church and corrupt it through false teaching. It matters when you appoint elders that you understand why they're here, what they do, and whether they are qualified to do the job. There is not a board of elders in the sense of like a corporate organization it's not a board where people just come together once a month and make decisions put their stamp on decisions this is a plurality of pastors a team of pastors who are actively shepherding the flock of God and Hebrews thirteen seventeen says that we are all to obey our leaders and submit to them for they are wa- keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And that is a weighty, weighty thing. Keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. But it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So when you affirm an elder, you're affirm a shepherd, you're affirming someone that you know you can joyfully follow. You can joyfully submit to their lead. Now, I, I, I know in this day and age that um, authority has been so abused that there is just a culture of questioning authority and there's a suspicious, suspiciousness toward authority, but it's still the same. God's design for the church is that we would have leaders and that as members we would be able to joyfully submit to their lead and to follow them. And in as much as we do that, that is to our advantage. Another reason why we need to know what an elder is, we need to know about elder qualifications, is that what we find in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, they're really not just qualifications for the elders. Yes, they are. But all of us can take someone from this as an example of what it means to strive for Christ-like character. So all of us should actually look at the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, with exception of maybe those few that wouldn't apply, in Titus chapter 1, as Christ-like character that we should all be striving after. That we might be able to say, "Follow follow me as I follow Christ, like the Apostle Paul said. And then finally, why do we need to know this? Because we as a church can be praying all the time, can be praying right now, for God to raise up more pastors from among us. We should always be praying and be on the lookout and encouraging people that we see growing in this way, praying that God would raise up more pastors from among us. The members of the body are responsible for affirming who is a part of the church. We're responsible and accountable for the guarding of the gospel and striving for holiness together. Therefore, who we affirm as elders and shepherds and overseers matters. It matters to God. It should matter to us. Now, just in the final few minutes, I just want to give you a sense or um, a vision, if you will. Um, I'm not big into the idea of vision casting or something like that outside of what the scripture gives us to do, but just a picture really briefly of what this looks like when it's working well. The vision that I have is that this church 10, 15, 20, 25 years down the road would be a church that is not dependent on my personality or my ingenuity. God help us if that's the case. Not dependent on me as if if I were to just fall dead one week The church would just go on because there were other pastors who were able to step into the role. Not a church that feels like they have to go out and hire a new pastor every few years, and then when he leaves, go out and get a new one. But rather, we would be a church that's always on the lookout for the work that God is doing among us to raise up those gifted people within the church for this role. He's given this gift to the church, not to the seminaries. Not to the world at large, but he's given these gifts to the church. And so that we would have this continual radar up. Who are the next generation of faithful pastors who will lead us? And I pray that there are some among us right here in this body that are not currently serving in this role. And then eventually in time, because each of those pastors are seeking to actively disciple future pastors, that it would create a a. a compounding effect within the church that when a pastor is discipling another pastor who's discipling another who's discipling another, it creates within this church a whole culture of discipleship where the natural thing we think of is, who am I discipling? Who am I bringing alongside me? Whether I'm a shepherd or a a deacon or, or none of the above, whether I'm that, who am I calling alongside of me to say, follow me as I follow Christ? As I said, we've kind of been blessed to see this a little bit at Center Baptist Church already in Cliff and Troy and Chris, or Cliff and Troy and Russ and Fred. I would also add Chris, uh, because if you don't know, Chris is actively teaching us Sunday after Sunday. Uh, he's doing that in the evangelism class, but he's doing it in the way that he chooses the songs and leads us um, into worship of God and, and Chris is actually actively discipling other people within the church right now. He's coming alongside people and pointing them to Christ. And so we've been blessed with that. And what I'm asking us to do in this transition as we seek to move towards something like this is simply to recognize it. And to recognize in the church that we have a team of shepherds and that we have this this idea within our church that God is going to continue to supply us more And more pastors among us and when you look out and you see the church doing this really well you no longer think of one person addressing all of the spiritual needs of the church you think oh there are five there are six there are seven guys that I could come to for counseling or for help with this matter or who could fill in and teach or who could preach on one Sunday a whole team equipping discipling saying I'm someone that you can look to, to follow me as I follow Christ. Because ultimately, just to bring it all back together, the ultimate aim of any pastor is the careful and continual direction of the flock to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Continually pointing the flock to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. There's no pastor who is perfect. There's no elder who will perfectly live up to these qualifications in every single way at every single time. We all need all the help that we can get to be reminded day in and day out that we are wholly dependent on the finished work of Christ. This is what a shepherd does, continually reminds the congregation that we are utterly dependent on the finished work of Christ, our chief shepherd, the shepherd and overseer of our souls, the one who leads us beside still waters, makes us lie down in green pastures, leads us in righteousness, pursues us through valleys with goodness and mercy, the shepherd and overseer of our souls.